Hi there, it's February 15th, 2024. Welcome to episode 310 of Rook. I'm Gian Gomeshi. Hello to you from back in the Rook studio in Toronto after our big live show last week. We loved it. We loved you for coming out and we love that you've been watching the videos if you didn't make it there around the world checking out what we did last week live. Salam Dustan Aziz, Durud Bashama from the Rook studio. Hope you're doing well wherever you are tuning in from around the world. You know, if one of the constant themes of this program has been identity, and who the heck we are as people of Iranian descent or Persians with a long, illustrious history who are now based in Iran, but also scattered around the world. We certainly have to, from time to time, return to questions of language, specifically the Persian language, Persian, Farsi, and just how important it is to defining our identity, whether inside or outside of Iran. Now, in recent years, this has become something of a political question as well, where the Persian language is identified with a rich history and culture before the Arabization, if you will, of the language, or even before the coming of Islam. But the question doesn't need to be that grandiose. Rather, it can be quite personal and sociocultural. When some Persians, for example, hear me speaking Persian as someone who grew up outside of Iran, they hear a Western accent that somehow otherizes me. But does it make me less Persian than them? I'm first generation. My roots go way back in Khuzestan and the Northwest as well. For that matter, while my Persian may have gotten better in the last 20 years, I'm not sure that I like Gourmet Sabzi any more than I did a couple of decades ago. And while I may not have the fluency of some Persians who've just come from Iran, I've probably read the Shah Nameh more times than they have and have a keener and more robust sense of our history. So how do we account for identity? Well, the Persian language, known for its rich literary tradition, historical significance, and cultural depth, plays a pivotal role in shaping Persian identity, right? Its importance stems from its status as a symbol of continuity, connecting modern Iranians or Persians to their ancient heritage. Persian as a language with roots tracing back over two millennia embodies the collective memory of Persian culture, serving as a vehicle for the transmission of values, traditions, and history across generations. Its usage in poetry and literature and religious texts has contributed to the development of a unique Persian cultural identity distinct from its linguistic counterparts. On the other hand, Persian identity is deeply rooted in a rich tapestry of history, culture, and traditions that extend beyond the boundaries of language too, right? While the Persian language has played a crucial role in shaping this identity, it is not the sole determinant of it, is it? Persian identity is also intricately tied to shared historical experiences, cultural practices, values, and beliefs that transcend linguistic boundaries. One could argue that Persian identity could remain strong without the Persian language due to the resilience of cultural practices and traditions. For example, Persian cuisine, art, music, architecture are all vibrant expressions of Persian culture that can be appreciated and celebrated independent of language. These cultural elements serve as a tangible representation of Persian identity that can be preserved and promoted even if the language were to decline in importance. So, 
How important is the Persian language in defining our identity? Today, we address this question with three distinguished guests, the Iranian-Canadian scholar, author, and curator, Dr. Khatereh Shaybani, the popular YouTuber on language and culture, Bahodur Alast, and the award-winning president of the Canadian Linguistics Association, Dr. Gila Gomeshi. Plus, joining me in the studio for our feature interview, the singer, songwriter, and rising voice in Persian pop, Navon, who is joining us on the precipice of releasing his brand new album. You don't want to miss that conversation. It's coming up. We're all right. Let's get started. Good to have you with us. Strap yourself in. This is Rook, episode 310, coming at you. Thank you again to everybody who made our inaugural Rook Live at Theater Aurora. Um, a lot of fun and a, I guess a big success last week, a sold out show and um, we've been putting up clips from it. If you haven't checked those out, you can do so on Instagram and on YouTube. We have the whole show audio on our podcast platforms. We did it in two parts. Uh, we've got so much great response. We're looking forward to doing the next Rook Live, which we will announce in the coming days. Stay tuned. Um, But first, today's show, episode 310, the Toronto-based Iranian-Canadian singer and songwriter Navon joining me in the studio in about 45 minutes for a feature interview to discuss his journey in Persian pop and his brand new record, which is called Mesliqable, like before. The record comes out next week, um, and it's really nicely done. He's got a really special voice. He's only been doing this for about four years. That's, it's been four years since his first single came out. And he's really grown both as a musician and grown in, in his profile, both in Canada and around the world. And it's great to have him here uh, on the eve of his new record coming out. We'll play a few songs from it and have a feature conversation with Navon in the, the Rook studio, as I say, in about 45 minutes. Uh, by the way, he has his album release here in Toronto, a party on March 1st. Uh, I guess it's a concert and a party at the Bathurst Arts Center. So uh, check it out if you're in the greater Toronto area. We will get to Navon. Uh, also in the coming days on Rook, I should announce Sara Nayani, Shapa Shapare, Nima Behnoud, the mastermind behind Nimani, will be here in the Rook studio for a feature interview. I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, and uh, next week, a debate on a social media practice that is is close to some Iranian hearts. I'm really looking forward to this uh, this conversation and the lineup we have for this this panel. Are Instagram filters a good thing? Are Instagram filters a good thing? I can hear you thinking out loud across the, around the world, and and, and I mean, uh, even I have some uh, strong opinions about this on. Uh, varying sides of it but I'm, I'm looking forward to having the panel this is next week on the show uh we've got some great people lined up for this including a couple of influencers who um will speak from experience about their positive or negative feelings about instagram filters next week on rook first up this show and our panel uh 
By the way, I should note that Pega, uh, our dear Pega, is under the weather today. Um, that's why you're not hearing her voice as my um, trusted uh, side person here in the Rook studio. We wish you a quick and full recovery, Smart Pega. Um, but in the meantime, let's get to our panel, our roundtable. And today the question, how important is the Persian language in defining our identity? For this roundtable, we've assembled an impressive trio of humans who are going to be part of the discussion and perhaps the debate that ensues. How important is the Persian language in defining our Persian identity. First of all, our returning champion here in the Rook Studio. He's an Iranian-Canadian engineer and YouTuber based in Toronto. His YouTube channel, under his own name, focusing on languages and culture, has grown to be one of the most popular channels in the world with millions of views. And he has a particular interest in Persian language, its history, and its role in our identity. Here in the Rook Studio is Bahodor Alas. Hello, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Hello. Always good to have you, and particularly for this subject, which I know you're absolutely you're invested in. Something we've talked about before. Yes. <laughs> Our second panelist, an Iranian-Canadian scholar, author, curator of Iranian cinema and Persian literature and culture, Dr. Khatere Shebani, received her master's degree in linguistics from the University of Tehran and her doctorate in comparative literature and film studies at the University of Alberta. She has established multiple courses in Persian studies at York University in Toronto, where she's been a professor in the Humanities Department. And right now, Dr. Khatere Shebani joins us from Guelph, Canada. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. So, yeah. so it's wonderful. It's a pleasure and honor. It's a wonderful to have you back on the show. And, and certainly for this conversation, it's right up your alley. And I'm uh, honored to have you. And last but not least, she is the award-winning president of the Canadian Linguistics Association. Dr. Gila Gomeshi has been a professor at the University of Manitoba for over two decades after completing a PhD in linguistics at the University of Toronto on the syntax of Persian. She's a published author who has been in the associate dean chair at the Faculty of Arts at U of M, and her scholarly work is in the field of Iranian linguistics, and she's been a member of an informal network of scholars in Europe and North America working on Iranian languages for her entire career. She mentors and supervises students working on the linguistics of Iranian languages. Dr. Gila Gameshi joins us from Winnipeg, Canada. Hello, sister. Hello, brother. <laughs> nice. And hello to the fellow panelists who I'm delighted to uh, uh, meet this way. Hello, same here. Well, uh, it's it's a ple it's an honor to have the three of you on the show. I feel uh, desperately unqualified compared to the three of you to talk about language, but I'll try and steer the conversation as as well as I can because just putting the question out there in the ether or in social media, as it would be in the last twenty four hours, has elicited so much response and so much emotion in the response that um, I'm looking forward to what this conversation will elicit. Uh, let me start with a with with why we're having the conversation. Why is this such an important question, and why is it? Let me put it this way: Why is it more emotional? Uh, uh, this is me saying this. I don't know if this is scientific, but it seems more emotional for some, and I would dare say Persians, for example, than others. Does it have to do with a feeling that the language may be in danger, or change, or extinction? Uh, in other words, as someone who grew up in England, and uh, I'm not so sure that Brits would be rushing to say the biggest part of their identity is that we speak English. 
But with Persians and some others, it feels like this is a significant question. Maybe this is self-evident, but let's briefly play it out. Why is this such an important question, Bahadur? Well, you mentioned uh, the language being in danger. I, I, that's not really uh, my personal concern. My biggest concern is that people who move away from Iran and uh, after a couple of generations don't have the chance, the opportunity to be able to go there, and, and not just Iran, but also other Persian-speaking countries, um, they start losing uh, a part of their identity. And after a couple of generations, it's just not there without the language. And that's just how I feel. And that's why, for me, it's very important to uh, pass on the language. And I, I feel that it's very essential to our identity. And with the, I'm guessing you would say then, with the growing emigration of people out leaving Iran, the migration of Iran is out leaving Iran, this becomes more of a uh, an issue for you in terms of the diminishing of... Uh, Persian language after generations of generations. Ab absolutely, because if you look at, say, uh, Italian Canadians or Italian Americans that uh, moved to North America over a century ago, uh, after a few generations, their children don't speak Italian. Uh, some of them may say they're Italian, but it, it, they're just really the, the, the sort of main component of their identity starts to fade away. And I feel that with the Persian language, this is so much more important to our identity. And after two or three generations, if the language is not being spoken within that family, you can't really identify because you become... Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Khatera, same question to you. Why is this an important question, how important the Persian language is to Persian identity? Why even talk about it? Sure. You know, uh, let me um, examine this question from another perspective, from a historical perspective. We talk about uh, 300 years of silence in our history. Why we think we were silent? Because we lost the language for 300 years after the Arab conquest. So once Persians started writing uh, in Persian again, documenting their uh, experiences in Persian again, we talk about the revival of uh, Persian identity. And that's why I think Persian language is important in defining our national identity, not only as Iranians, but as uh, in the Persianate world. Okay. Doctor so it's regardless of um, which ethnicity we belong to, I think Persian was important for all of us. The Turks, the Kurds, the Arabs in in Persia, the Persians. Okay. Okay. Uh, you've said a lot. I'm going to come back on, uh, to some of that, but okay. let me just get the, the the general question done with uh, Dr. Gila too. Go ahead, Gila. Um. Well, I I I like it that I got to go third because I think that uh, we heard two important things there. So. Uh, Persian and identity outside of the country and then Persian and identity inside the country because they're actually really different for me. So um, the question, how important is it to identity? It's hugely important. It's just hugely important. Uh, and uh, as Bahadur said, when you 
lose your language, you experience it as a profound loss, a cultural loss and a disconnect with where you're from. So, you know, it, it's it's huge. But then um, in Iran, to sort of say um, Persian is, you know, a huge part of cultural identity is a more complicated thing because who's who's Persian, like whose language, right? So if you're asserting the standard language, then you're kind of, um, um, I think there's so many linguistic minorities that then don't see themselves, you're, you're rendering them invisible. So, um, you know, something that can be a very positive thing for people outside a country, um, you know, when you were saying, you know, like there's English only movements in the United States, there have been, you know, they, they, that come up in resurgence every once in a while, and I because Eng I English up. English is under attack. <laughs> well, that's the irony, right? <laughs> so sometimes in a country, the assertion of linguistic rights is actually a veiled kind of anti-immigrant. Like it was about German in Pennsylvania in the 1700s, and it was about Spanish in California, and it's about French in Louisiana. It's about this fear of the other. So English only. We don't want these other people, these other languages on our signs. It's very threatening to people in the South to see Spanish. It's really threatening, even though English is in no danger of, you know, right, so right. in a country, it can actually be a disturbing thing to kind of go. So, so, so on that note, I mean, I, I should say that I, I chose the question quite specifically, how important is Persian language to Persian identity? Because I, I'm, I want to get inside the, inside the Persian identity and where, where language fits in that. But a few people have pointed out um, on social media when we put the question out, um, why didn't you ask the question, how important is Persian language to Iranian identity? Um, which I think intersects partly with what you're saying, Gila. I mean, it, 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 can, it can be a, quite a different question if I ask it that way. Um, would that change, would, would that be, I want to, I'm not, I don't want to change the question right now and I don't want to get too involved in the, in the weeds of the lexicon, but, but would that, would that um, necessitate a different perspective from you today, Khatere, for example? It is different, but say for a Persian, I mean, going back to what Bahadur proposed, to the importance of Persian language to an immigrant child, I mean, a second generation child, like my children. Uh, their identity is tied to, I mean, being Iranian regardless of their ethnicity here. I mean, they have friends who are second generation Iranians, who might speak in, in, at home, Turkish or Kurdish with their parents, but still they feel that that's important to speak some Farsi, some Persian, to, you know, I mean, uh, understand, I mean, and make it understandable to others that we are part of this, you know, larger mm. community of Iranians. Bahodor, what do you think about that? If we slightly change the question to Iranian identity, my answer would remain the same, uh, simply because I don't think that you need to have one single uh, identity. You can be a, an Iranian uh, of Kurdish or uh, Baluchi or, or whatever. You know, let's talk about somebody as, as someone myself. Let's let's use that as an example. My father's mother language is not Persian. Uh, he didn't speak. 
Pers- the Persian language until he went to school. What did he speak? Uh, Azeri, Turkish. Mm. And, um, and, and my grandparents, they didn't speak Persian until they were adults because they never received any formal education. Um, so, uh, in my opinion, and I, I respect the different languages, people's mother tongue, if it's not Persian, um, it's not like I'm not suppressing the languages. I think it's important that they learn their language. I, in fact, I support uh, learning and, and promoting and preserving their native language. But uh, aside from that, the Persian language is what unites all of us. Um, it, it, it's, it's a unifying factor. So, you know. Is that it a unifying factor for a Kurd in Iran? Uh, well, how do Kurdish people and, um, say, Baluch people or. Uh, Turkmen's and uh, an Iranian Arab communicate with each other. Mm. They don't use their native language; they use Persian, right? I, inside Iran, or if they're living somewhere, right. yeah. So they're a national language. Exactly. Gila, how did you? I mean, it sounded like you were saying you would a- answer the question differently if I said um, Iranian. I did. No, I got that. Wrong. <laughs> well, no, okay. I, I, I wouldn't. I mean, I but I but I like the Bahadur's answer, which is that we have many identities, and so you know, for um, and I and I also like that I like the idea of Persian as a lingua franca among all the different um, other speakers. But I think also sometimes um, we get um, we 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 don't understand multilingualism very well. Like, so it's funny that the last time I was on this program with you, we were talking about, you know, having an accent and, and I, you know, I really strongly felt that for many immigrants and not just Iranians, if you could give them a pill that would make them speak English fluently the next day, they would want it because they want to pass. But there's also this mistaken idea that if you know a language fluently, then you don't know another one. Like you can have many languages in your toolkit. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the ideal thing would be to be fluent in English and in Persian. And if you're an Azeri speaker and in Azeri, so that you've got the benefit of all of those things, you can communicate with your people. And then, you, you know, you know, you have access to the beautiful Persian history of, you know, right. literature, right. and then you can pass here. Like, so what we all want to be is actually multilingual. But can I, let me get, I mean, yes, that, that would be wonderful um, <laughs> if everybody was, uh, I mean, I think that's happening in Denmark or somewhere in middle Europe where they all speak five languages, but you would know this from your YouTube show where, you know, the Scandinavians, certain, Scandinavians, yeah, yeah. But but uh, let me let me just go to something Khatira uh, said and leading into this conversation around um, um, Persian identity. I mean, I was thinking about what to throw at you guys, because if I, if I, I'll concede that the that the the mass majority of respondents, if there was a couple hundred response comments on this on the the post I put up yesterday, w- the the theme was absolutely Persian language is important. Um, uh, that's really important in terms of our our uh, identification, our, our identity, uh, and and so I feel to a certain extent I have to accept that and, and play devil's advocate. But I also do really feel there seems to be a bit of an elitist position, which is that the people have to speak Persian. And and so I want to, Im- I want you to imagine a second generation young Iranian woman or Persian woman who, who is living in San Diego and loves the culture, loves the cuisine, Persian cuisine, loves Persian music and the traditions, but doesn't speak Persian. Are we going to say that that person has less legitimacy 
in self-identifying as Persian, as someone who is fluent, Gila? I mean, I've experienced that. Like, you know, I mean, I've, I'm, I've experienced the, because I can't read and, and it, it makes me sad. So it's not that somebody else is judging me. I feel it. I think that's the, the agony of, of the immigrant experience, you know, second generation is that um, I, you know, I, I can't read primary works in their in the language they were written in. I can't read the poetry. I you know, I so I I feel that it's not that I think other people are imposing that on me. I experience that as a loss. But what meaning you feel less Persian? No, I feel Well, that's my question. I, my question is no, I don't or, feel do you less have less Persian, legitimacy? I feel I've lost something. And I feel I mean the other thing is that I feel like I can't transmit the language in all of its beauty because I don't speak it well to my children, gotcha. my child. Yeah. And so all of that I experience as a loss. So that idea that, you know, linguistic loss and cultural loss is deeply personal like i think i don't think it's like other people's judgment i think you feel it in yourself but i don't listen i don't i don't mean to sound twee but why don't you feel that way if you don't know how to make khoresh to badem june really well which you don't compared to me at least um <laughs> i mean well no but, but really i mean why 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 isn't that why don't you feel a sense of loss that you don't know how to how to do persian cuisine I do actually. I mean, I I, I feel that way. I, I actually do feel. Um, I mean, you know how much we both love our mother's cooking, and sometimes I think the world is going to be a lesser place if I don't learn how to cook like my mother. Like because also with Iranian cooking, it's so specific that every mother's bottom footage to bottom June is different, and I'm like, I want to preserve my own mother's. So I do actually. I think. I think all those aspects of culture, and I think you see it in, you know, I, I think you see it in other cultures too. Like in, in Canada, the the worst thing we did to Indigenous people is we tried to assimilate them in, you know, this idea that life would be easier for them if they right. all knew English and they yeah. all had the same religion as, as you know, the, the settlers. And so we did that. And generations later people experience that as something terrible that happened to them because they can't speak their language but that so plays that, that plays the other way too I might, I'll bring that up back up and let me let me just go to Bahadur and Khater on this question of what what do you say to my person and this woman that I've created in in San Diego who is is a, a Persian loving <laughs> uh, Persian food making uh, Persian dancing woman but just doesn't doesn't speak the language uh, I, Do you I will, say she's I, less Persian? Well, I will get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to be honest um, because I have made this statement in the past on in, in videos. And in my opinion, she has lost a part of her identity that the children have mm. if they don't speak the language. It is very essential to me. It's very important to the identity. Um, you cannot say this about every country in the world. Um, I'm not saying we're the only ones who are right. like this. Many, many languages and cultures are, but it's not always the case. In some countries, in some nations, um, religion, for example, is, is a very important major factor in mm. uh, defining their identity. For us, it's not. You can be best friends with another Iranian person. After 10 years, you don't even know what your religions are mm. because it's just not that important. It's not as important as you know other other factors, right? So... 
to me, yes, I think I think once you lose the language, you lose a part of your identity. Khatere, where do those other factors play in for you? Uh, if you obviously have said that the primacy of language is so important. So so if we talk about our food, our dancing, our family values, our tradition, our, our shared history, where do those determinants rank in defining Persian identity when, when, when compared to language for you? Uh, let me first of all uh, make it clear that I'm not entitled to say if this per person is less Persian or mm. not. That's based on how she feels. It's not my saying. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not my position to say that. But let me go back. So you disagree with Bahador, who would throw her under the bus? Well, no, no, no. I, I'm not saying that. I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. She, she can feel the way she wants to feel. I'm, I'm just kidding. Saying. I'm kidding. Go ahead, Khatir. I'm sorry. But let me let me go back to history once again to find you know how that worked before, and maybe that could you know lead us to answers for the future. Mm. There are two pillars. Uh, the most important pillars in defining our identity in the past has been Persian history and Persian language. I mean, as Bahadur mentioned, we lost, we, we had a transition from one, you know, major uh, religion, Zoroastrianism, to another, Islam. We took it, we accepted that, but it didn't mean that we lost our identity because we found it in our language. Why do we say that, that Iranians, or, or rather I should say Persians, were, I mean, didn't exist in history for, for three, two, between two to 300 years? Mm. That's because we didn't have written history, you know? because we didn't have written his history in Persian. Right. We have experienced the Mongol, you know, uh, invasion, the Arab invasion, and now recently the Islamic Republic. How did we fight and how did we win in our fights? With direct fights, uh, we always lost. Babak Khurramdin, for instance, Abu Muslim Khurasani, they wanted to revive the Iranian identity, the Persian identity, but they lost the battle. Mm. But who won the battle? The people who tried to preserve the language. Mm. It was Ferdowsi, it was Rudaki. Yeah. I mean, these people, and then, the, I mean, Reza Shah, Reza Shah built uh, the, the Iranian identity based on, you know, Persian identity. Well, Reza Shah, um... I mean, built it on more than just uh, um, Persian language, though. I mean, he came to fa famously created the infrastructure for a, a strong new United Nation state, and that included national railways and banking systems and strong central military, uh, sartorial rules, you know, no hijab. But but he did also impose the Persian language as the official language to be used in institutions and schools, and and this was considered a great threat to many different ethnic languages and cultures that had comprised Iran for centuries. So when does the imposition of a dominant language become repressive of minority cultures? I, I, I mean, if you uh, let me, you know, answer this question, that would, you know, please be, go ahead. Yeah, uh, sure. Because I want to clarify something by saying that, I mean, 
having Persian language as a pillar of our identity, I don't mean to you know, look sh chauvinistic. And I don't mean that. I, I believe in diversity and I encourage the uh, people in different you know, parts of, of the Persianate world to preserve their own language as mm. well. But as Bahadur mentioned, we need one unifying element among us. And that's been, I mean, historically Persian. Nezami Ganjavi, who was from Ganje, a, an Azeri, you know, Turkish speaking, with a Kurdish mother, he, uh, I mean, made the, the story of Shirin and Khosrow and Shirin, which was originally a Kurdish roman, romance. He, he, he wrote it in Persian. Why? Because of, he thought that, that that's the, the, the major target audience would be Persian mm -hmm. because more people would read it in that language, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. Uh, yes, Reza Shah, I mean, for today, if that's going to happen today, it shouldn't be as repressive as that, that modernist projects that he was implementing. Definitely not. It's tough because with Gila's indigenous uh, example, the, the indigenous mm -hmm. people, First Nation people in Canada, um, we were using that as an example of how of of uh, you know empathizing with Persians um, who may be in the same position in terms of the the danger of losing the language, et cetera. But but if you use the Reza Shah example, um, the indigenous people are not the are are, are the ones that the, that the Persian is repressing, uh, if you want to put it that way. So it's a it's a tough question of which where we're at. Gila, go ahead. You're shaking your head. Well, I, I guess I, I I was thinking about this question because there there's a lot of um, advantages to having a common standard language in education and government and and as Bahadur said as a lingua franca. So that in itself, the creation of a common language or the the promotion of a common language through your educational system doesn't necessarily have to be repressive or chauvinistic as long as you acknowledge the right of people to also use their own languages, their home languages. Like, you know, um, the Linguistic Society of America at one point put out a statement in the 90s because this English only movement had um, had a resurgence in the States. But one of the things they were saying is people should be permitted to speak to other people in their own language in the workplace, you know, mm -hmm. like things like that. Like, you know, you can have a really repressive interpretation of common standard language where you're like, no one can speak anything mm -hmm. else, or you can have, this is what we have, but it coexists with, you know, a bunch of other languages. And unfortunately in the case of, you know, the Canadian context, it was a, let's wipe out all the other languages, right? right. right? Bahadur? Uh, well, in my opinion, no language should ever be repressed. And uh, as you know yourself, I've, I've made numerous videos with minority languages yes. that are spoken inside Iran, right? Yes. So you know, nobody can accuse me of, of yeah. uh, wanting to <laughs> suppress other <laughs> languages. No, I, I, I would never agree with that. I'd be completely against it. Um, but, uh, you know, it's going back to what Khatar uh, uh, had mentioned about the history of the Persian language, I think, you know, after language, history, knowing our history I is the most important part of the identity. Yes, I mean, the, the food and stuff is very important too, mm. but I think knowing the history, you understand the, how much work it took to be able to preserve the Persian language. Uh, there was a period where um, had a different turn taken place, 
we could have been like many other uh, nations in uh, throughout the Middle East or North Africa mm-hmm. who have, after generations, lost their language, right? And and through that, you lose your identity. So how, how they don't feel any different than somebody from another, you know, for instance, let's let's take uh, Algeria, for example, mm-hmm. or Egypt. In Algeria, it's a, it's a little bit less because a lot of them st- still do preserve their Amazigh Berber languages, right? But in Egypt, uh, they don't speak their language. It's 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 lost. They speak Arabic, and Egypt is considered an Arab mm-hmm. country, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas I speak to some Egyptians, and they're like, "Well, we're not Arab," and and I, I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge and say, "Oh, what you are?" No, I, I wouldn't say that. But uh, they have lost the language. So mm. to to not just to them, but even the rest of the world sees them as part of the Arab world, right? There are, uh, I think it was the Shah Nameh where there's no Arabic words, right? It's it's uh, yes, pretty it much is, all in yeah, Persian. Yeah. The, and there are certainly people these days who oppose the use of Arabic words in mm. our um, Persian language and Persian culture. And some who even say we shouldn't be saying salam, we should be saying durud. Yes. Uh, where are you at on that? Is that, uh, is that? Would you go that far? I think it's important for us to become more educated and informed on the Persian equivalents of the Arabic loan words. I'm not one who is fighting against the loan words in, in the Persian language. I mean, we have a lot of French loan words, we have Arabic loan words, uh, but w- there are equivalents for them. So we, w- I, I do agree with wanting to promoting and learning them, but I don't think it should be so forced. Sometimes it becomes a little too aggressive. What do you think of that, Khatarajan? Do you, do you, are you someone who thinks that we should be saying durud and not salam? Uh, you know, uh, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters uh, that how people are are using the language, are employing the language. Uh, in recent years, this, uh, I mean, desire to purify Persian language uh, became a signifier to be identified as a person who is against the mm. Islamic, you know, fundamentalism. It's a form of resistance. That's a, it's a form of resistance. They defy the, the government by, for instance, using more and more, I mean, uh, Persian names uh, mm. taken from Shahnameh for their children. So that's, or, or using the word Durud instead of Salam, mm. for instance. Or even sometimes they make up, you know, stories that, for instance, they say, don't say Qaza, uh, you should say Khorak because uh, that's the word that Arabs use for um, dog food or <laughs> animal food or something like that, which is not, I mean, correct, right? But people are trying to once again, I mean, uh, identify themselves as Persians and as a result, not as, you know, Islamic fundamentalists by by using language. So once but, again, but in terms of the the the, the 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 first the question we began with, that would underscore the value the importance of language. Certainly for those people, it's 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 number one. Gila, what do you think of that movement to sort of uh, purify uh, Persian language? Well, I think that there's lots of examples where people use. Uh, specific choices in language to signal something about where they stand on, um, you know, sometimes it's even pronunciation, but actually we had a student do an MA thesis here on precisely that, the amount of Arabic as correlated with someone's um, attitude about 
religion, you know, mm. like, so mm. that sometimes the use of high Arabic, you know, words in your Persian can show that you're, you know, a, a, a religious person. Um, so, but it's, it's common that features of language are deployed by people to reveal something about you know, their identity, just like, you know, we have that in English, we have that in every language. So I think it has become, um, you know, a, a, an emblem of where you stand with respect to some complicated, you know, whether you, where you stand with respect to religion, which in, in our context is also tied up with where you stand with respect to the, the you know, the status quo. A, a, a not unrelated trend that has um, been sp- spoken of has come on, come up a lot on this program um, in the last few years is is in other words, guests have brought this up. Is the perceived um, erosion of Persian language, particularly amongst young people in Iran, who are using English? Loanwords who are who are using English terms rather than Persian terms for when they speak in the vernacular, um, and that this is seen as a loss of the Persian language because um, whether it's I guess pop culture or or you know the internet or whatever it's the it, 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 the cause is that there's suddenly all this English getting glottied into the uh, Persian if I could do the inverse. Um, Gila, uh, what do you, I mean, I'm guessing that's not only a concern for Persians, but um, but what, what, what do it's you know about that? It's always a concern. I mean, it's always a concern, this idea that the young don't speak the, the right way and and that, and that particularly in a, where, where language is in a minority context, like French in Canada or, you know, that the and and now with the internet, any kind of minority language feels that it's getting contaminated and diluted by all of this English. But I mean, it's it's you know, I, I have to say I was at a conference. I mean, twenty years ago in Iran, um, and the there were some religious um, clerics who came to you know at the I guess at the invitation of the university um, to speak to us, and they were warning people in the audience about the use of English and how it was um, uh, degrading the language. So, I mean, it's, it's, it kind of cuts, cuts across all, um, all groups and, and, and it's a common, um, it's an anxiety, you know, that, that uh, about a language disappearing through sort of attrition, like through Mm -hmm. the, but, you know, but, it, but it's also like that English has become the lingua franca, the real lingua franca, right? If there's a, a Polish person speaking to a Spanish person in in Costa Rica, they're speaking English. I mean, so it's kind of yeah. back to your point about how people communicate. I mean, I guess it's a it's a facility. Where 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 are you on that, Bahador? Well, I, I think this is not only a concern for Iranians, right? This is every country in the world, right? I mean, if anywhere you go, people are. Uh, throwing in English words that they learned on the internet and, and when they're speaking, right? But uh, I've also seen the opposite of that. Um, I'll, I'll give, use one example, you know, for instance, in the city of Bukhara, which is in Uzbekistan, um, the native language of the majority of the people is Persian. And this is a perfect example of what we're talking about. And over the last hundred years, the Persian language has been very suppressed. Uh, first uh, by through the Soviet Union and then now through the the Uzbek government, which wants to force the Uzbek language and exaggerates uh, the number of actual t- 
Persian-speaking Tajik people in Bukhara, but the people in Bukhara, the native Persian speakers of Bukhara, they are uh, using uh, all of these like uh, Turkic loan words that have found their way into the way they speak. They're trying to replace those with Persian words, mm. and they listen to more Persian music, and they are. It's it's sort of like. Um, um, as one of my friends put it, a small revolution. It's like a quiet revolution that's taking place where the young people there are purposely trying to avoid the Russian and Uzbek loan words. Um, so, yeah, and th this this really relates to what we're talking about because Bukhara and Samarkand are very important cities in the, the, the Persian world, right? right. Uh, you hear them in Persian poetry, and it's it's very sad and unfortunate that the language is not even being taught in those cities today. So back to our our question, our main question. In this case, they are literally defining, asserting their identity by exactly. using the language. Exactly, yeah. and that, that exa proves exactly what I'm saying, is their identity, they see that their identity is based on their language. Because if you are born to a family that is a, a, a Persian-speaking family, your grandparents spoke Persian fluently, you live in Samarkand, you live in Bukhara, and today you find yourself that you can barely speak the language. So you start losing the identity. You just identify as, as, as a regular Uzbek citizen, right? After a while. And what happens to your children if they know nothing about the language? Uh, Dr. Khater, do you, do you lament the um, incursion of English words into um, Pers the Persian language for Persian youth? No, no, I don't think that's a major uh, concern. Uh, a language, in my view, is like a hotel with loan words. Some uh, come, uh, these loan words like, are like guests to hmm. the hotel. They come to the hotel, they stay, some might stay and become, you know, a permanent residents and some will leave the, the hotel. And if they stay, they will be owned by the, uh, you know, language uh, users. And they will give new uh, semantic connotation to those words. That has happened with uh, French um, words and Arabic words in Persian. Some yeah. Arabic words in our language, they don't have the same meaning that they have in their original, you know, language. So we mm -hmm. own them. They are not loan words anymore. And then uh, some of them are gonna leave the language. It doesn't, you know, change the structure of the, our language. Yes, Sheila. There's just a funny thing in on this topic, which is that this anxiety of kind of you know, not letting too much English in and, and trying to keep the language is um, particularly true of diaspora. So like as Bahadur was talking about, like, you know, say a Persian community in Uzbekistan, and there's these funny stories, and I don't know it in Persian, but I know there's an Icelandic community in my province in Manitoba that emigrated a long time ago. It's a big Icelandic community. But when they go back to Iceland, because they're several generations old now, they speak like like it's like they're like Shakespearean or whatever. They they speak in this older version of the language because in Iceland it's just gone on and changed and incorporated all. And the population here are trying to preserve the language as it was when they came. So they sound you know like very funny to people who live there now. Yes, 
Yeah, I mean uh, that ha happens uh, with uh, the Persian we speak compared to Persian that's that's spoken in in Iran. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I am more concerned with using uh, the exact Persian words, but I see the younger generation inside of Iran using more loan words. I well or or new Persian words. I mean, in, in the, I, I, one of my greatest moments in my life, I think, was uh, um, a couple of years ago when I said to my mom, "Oh yeah, that's pretty chafan," and she was like, "What's that? What are you even saying?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a woman who grew up and lived in Iran and speaks <laughs> fluently, but had no idea what that word is, and I picked it up from you know uh, from some uh, cool young Iranian. Um, uh, I, I do have a question for the linguists, just. Just another thought experiment, just for fun, because I, 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 I just still feel resistant on the notion of um, language and identity being this this tied together. So just just help me with this one. I mentioned the the British before, and Gila, you talked about the Canadian example. You know, I know that British people would see themselves as very different in identity to Americans. As as do Canadians. I mean, Canadians. The the long time long standing joke has been that Canadian identity is that we're not American, you know, um, and we can point to the ways in which we think we're more polite or progressive or environmentally friendly or whatever it is. But but all of these countries speak English as their dominant language. So isn't that evidence that language is not so important in d defining identity? If these if these places have such dominant different identities, but they all speak the same same language, Gila. No, actually, that the the being speaking a Canadian form of the language is policed. If you sing the ABC song and you don't end it with Z <laughs> instead of Z, which a lot of kids who watch American TV do, fair enough, will get really mad and say that's American. Right, yeah, right, right, all right. Well, that's one small example. <laughs> For the most part, we speak the same language. <laughs> um, Okay, um, uh, a, a second last question before I ask you all for final thoughts. We've, we've kind of been dancing around this, and I, or not even dancing around it. I, I, I think you, a couple of you have spoken to this about the relationship with the Persian language with, with particular respect to um, the Islamic Republic of Iran right now in the last 45 years. How political is supporting the Persian language today? Or how important is it from a political standpoint to support the Persian language? It is important, you know, uh, as uh, I guess uh, Gila was mentioning about that dissertation uh, her student is working on, uh, we um, identify ourselves based on the, the type of language we speak even I mean how much uh, how many you know Arabic words for instance I use what type of slang am I using in which dialect of Persian that's all very political and then I mean uh, with te in terms of my um, the, the politics of sexuality and gender equality the type of language that I use how much inclusive my language is so it's all political. And then in response to uh, the, the government, the regime in Iran, I mean, uh, whether I, I identify myself as a part of the Melate Iran or Omate Islam, mm. yet another you know, political decision that I make. 
Uh, I'm sure you know the, the the government officials use a different type of Persian compared to a professor of Persian. I mean, right, language. Right. With Khater having said that, Jila, is is all language political? Yeah, it, I mean, well, because humans make many things political. But I just want to say though that going back to your question, that. Which one? Um, <laughs> are we are we talking now about? Um, I don't know how you phrased it, but about is um, how political asserting that Persian yeah. is important to Iranian identity? Uh, political question. Yes. Um, so I'm I'm you know I'm interpreting that to mean you know if you say that like do you mean actually can you explain what you mean yes i can i mean i look it's not i mean i i think both khater and, and Baudor have, have said have have touched on it but i but certainly in the responses i've gotten in in bringing up this conversation in general in recent years uh, uh, there are there's a significant group of people i would say in our broader persian community around the world who believe that um, using the Persian language in a certain way, and, and in fact, using the Persian language in general, is an is a, an act of defiance or an act of resistance, or or telegraphing some kind of opinion about the current regime and the current uh, uh, Islamic Republic of Iran. So um, I was asking about that. How 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 much you think that is the case? You mean you, you just using Persian in general, or do you mean the per, the non Arabic? Persian. I guess I mean the non-Arabic Persian, um, and uh, well, I'm not sure. I guess, I, guess, I guess most of the people say, you talk about the preservation of the Persian language that we need after the Arabs came and changed things, and yeah, so I guess that would, the, the Arabization is a big part of that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I it that has become political. I mean, I think it's kind of funny because, you know, languages are a blend of all kinds of things and you know in english english originally was a germanic language and then you know so there were these sort of germanic speaking people in britain and then um people came the norman invasion in 1066 and brought old french and then english became this combination of germanic and latinate and there's no movement to go People, get the French out of English. Like, you know, in fact, most people don't even know which vocabulary is Latinate and which is Germanic. Mm -hmm. We've, we've held on to that because the role of, you know, religion has been, you know, connected to repression and suppression of human rights. You know, like it's, it's become a completely different thing. And so it's very different when we look at Arabic words, even though they came in earlier than Latinate vocabulary came into English, English people don't, you know, like, it's just not a thing for them, right? Mm. So yeah, it's political, but it's got to do with our history, not not the way languages change. And if, you know, any, any way that people want to use language to express their identity is, is okay with me, like, um, so yeah, that's, that's all I have to say about that. Well, in my opinion, I, I don't think you can really separate politics from the Persian language as much. If, you know, I, I tried very hard, but you can't. It becomes political, uh, especially, you know, for instance, let's look at the example of how people are naming their children in, in Iran today. The use of Arabic names um, are considered Islamic and religious, and it mm. has dropped significantly. 
uh, even you know within my own religious family where all the cousins have names like Ali, Saeed, Hossein and then their children all have Persian names mm. like Parisa and uh, you know Bahar and so on so uh, you, you can see this is this is political right this is um, and it's not necessarily against Muslims or Arabs it's just against having that in the imposition of uh, yes mm -hmm. being imposed on mm -hmm. the Iranian mm -hmm. people and and you'll find a lot of that a lot of people will um, they don't have an issue with the religion of Islam they don't have an issue issue with Arab people but they don't want that to be imposed on their culture and, and in, into their country right um, so yeah, it, you you can't you know as much uh, you can try, but you can't really separate religion from it. Or sorry, politics from gotcha, it. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I um I have so I know I can't keep you all here forever. I've so enjoyed this, and it's been um, such an an education uh, uh, to have three superstars on on at the same time talking about this. Um, I'll give you each a final thought if you have one. Khater Bahadur Jila in that order, uh, Doctor Shabani. Uh, I'm dying to uh, just say two things in Farsi, please. Uh, when we talk about uh, Persian language and identity, it's not, uh, I mean, it would be a loss if we don't talk about Shah Rukh He was a champion in, I mean, promoting this idea of the, this in bond between language and, and identity. And uh, in his memoir, he, Ruzha Darra, he said, Irani Budan, Bohame Bad Bakhtiosh, Bezabun Farsish Miarze. So that uh, I, I want to say that uh, being Iranian with all the misery that it, it's bringing to us, it's worth the, uh, because of the Persian language. And then the second thing that I want to, to say in, in Persian is that. Um, and I want to read it in whole, as a whole, um, Ferdowsi, in reviving this tie between language and identity, he said in part, in a part of the Shahnameh, he said, من این نامه شهریاران پیش بگفتم بدین نغز گفتار خیش جهان کرده ام از سخن چون بهشت از این بیش تخم سخن کس نکشت بسی رنج بردم در این سال سی عجم زنده کردم بدین پارسی So basically he says I revived Iranianness with Persian language which is right I mean if it wasn't for Ferdowsi we wouldn't have had uh, our language and we wouldn't have had our, our history and mythology Of course there were others before him like Rudaki and others but it was this monumental work of Shahnameh that uh, preserved our, our identity. What a beautiful way to su uh, summarize things from uh, your view. Thank you. Um, Bahadur, final thought. <coughs> okay. Was yeah. that, was that I, it? Or? I, was, yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was waiting. I didn't want to interrupt. Uh, so uh, that, that, was, that was beautiful. That's very well said. And, and uh, to just add to that, uh, I think the most important part for Iranian people, Persian speakers, is to study the history of the Persian language. And not just learn the language, but study its history, uh, especially 
in the post-Islamic era and what happened and the dynasties and the important prominent individuals and all their efforts and what they did in order to preserve the language. Uh, as, as many people know, the Persian language in the areas that it was predominantly spoken lost, lost its official status for uh, many years. And it was native Iranian dynasties that fought very hard and poets and very, very important individuals who worked very hard in order to bring that back, bring that status back. And um, something a lot of people don't know in many uh, historically Persian-speaking parts of uh, the world in West Asia, the Persian language is permanently gone and people don't even think of them as part of the Persian world. So please, it's, it's, to me, it's very important after learning the language to learn its history. All right, all right. And final word to, to you, Gila. I don't think I could say anything that would be as beautiful as what Bahadur and, and Khatira have said. I can't add anything. I mean, that passage from Ferdowsi, which, you know, all the more poignant because there's parts of it I don't understand. And then uh, Bahadur, because, it, you know, and for Bahadur to say, you know, not only learn the language, learn the history of a language, 100% agree. Well, that's very modest, President of the Linguists Associ Association. I, I appreciate you. you Honestly, you, it you, is. Uh, I want to say, Gila Jun, uh, whenever you uh, discovered or found that pill to for my, yeah. you know, accent, <laughs> so I'll be taking it so I can learn Persian. <laughs> Your Persian is great, Gila. Don't say that. Your, Your Persian is good. My English needs to be fixed, you know. I need either a form of surgery or some pills. You know? the, the only perfect human in this uh, roundabout is Bahadur. Let's face it. Well, uh, 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 thank you, dear Khatir Shaybani, Dr. Shaybani. Thank you, Bahadur Alas. What a pleasure. Thank you, dear sister Gila Gomeshi. You guys have been great. This has been interesting. We'll uh, Over to you people out there listening. Uh, info at Rook Media or go to any of our platforms and post for us. Uh, thanks, everybody. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. This is episode 310 of Rook. We're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms. We are on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, CastBox, and more. And if you'd like to see some visuals with Rook, switch over to YouTube right now where we put the uh, full performance of um, Bob Akamini doing one of his pieces uh, at Rook Live last week along with our very own Anahita Nayabi dancing. Uh, on stage. So if you want to see that, go to our YouTube channel um, or you can see things on our Instagram channel as well. And if you like your Rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. Uh, to support us, you can be a Rook member, and we really appreciate those of you who are, by becoming a Patreon member, which means you go to our website, rookmedia.com, you press the support us button, it takes you to uh, 
uh, Patreon page where for a few bucks a month you can subscribe and become one of our Rook members who supports what we do, which we appreciate. Let's get to our feature guest who's walked into the studio here. My feature guest today is a Toronto-based Iranian-Canadian singer and songwriter who's on the rise and on a self-proclaimed mission to make Persian pop great again. His brand new album, Mesle comes out next week. Take a listen to this. خوشیدم فردا میشکنه ابرارو نور صبح میشه خاموشه آتیشه دلم از بودن صبح میشه from the brand new album Mesle Qabla which translates to Like Before that is the lead off track Roya written and performed by my in-studio guest today Ali Amini better known as Navon Navon started his professional music career almost exactly four years ago with his first single which was a Farsi and French debut called C he has since then released a number of singles, videos, and collaborations that have grown his journey as a young, notable voice in the Persian popular music world. Navon was born in Tehran, moved to Canada at the age of 13 in 2010. After a few years in Montreal, he moved to Toronto, where he's now based and where he writes and records his music. He's already developed an impressive track record of catchy songs with delicious melodies that he caps off as a very gifted vocalist. Navon's new album comes out next week on February 23rd and he has a big Toronto album release show at the Bathurst Centre for the Arts on March 1st but first joining me in the Rook studio is Navon hello sir hi Gian so good to be here thank you so much nice to have you here long time first of all I love that song that's why of the of your new album which I've been privy to to hear thank you for sending it to me that that is the lead-off track and it's such a beautiful song tell me about Roya I still get goosebumps listening to it. It's All weird. right. It yeah. works for you too. Yeah, it does. It does. Hits, hits right in the feels. Um, it's the first track. And uh, it's, I try to make a, the album being a psychedelic pop sort of sound, which has been absent in our music for a while. And um, Roya is the opener. And it's an opener of, of a story of a um, relationship that um, happens in the modern world that starts with the highs and it goes up and then it ends mm. and um, you're a young man but you speak from experience it seems <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I guess yeah. Um, and then Meslagab, which is the ending song it talks about being at peace in, in, in loneliness and um, being comfortable with 
with with yourself and oh. moving on. Well, we're going to get to that song. In fact, I want to end the interview with it because that's your f- official first single. But you you do love love. You you write about you tend to be if there's an oeuvre if there's a genre for Navon in terms of your lyrics, uh, your focus it tends to be relationships and love. Yeah, mostly, mostly. It's funny. I <laughs> I wrote this song um, Natars and it was a political song and um i was somebody reached out to me a couple of days ago saying man i lived with this song thank you for writing it uh, i was going through a breakup and i was listening to the song and, and it helped me move on i was like damn that's romantic too i guess <laughs> but yeah i do uh like to uh, write uh, about love and the beauty of love and the beauty of pain too uh is there beauty i think so i think i think um every painful experience every low experience that i had um it opened up doors to a much much better place after so Mm. um i have this saying that i'm that i tell my friends when i'm trying to give them a speech i'm like when you hit rock bottom um quote unquote it's bottom you can only go up so i'm always under that 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 belief that pain um is a part of everything and and it can open up doors to 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 a high uh for sure for sure it's a i'm I'm, if nothing else you learn but rock bottom is can be pretty painful i you know i don't know i mean i don't know how rock bottom you've hit i'm 26 (laughs) you seem to have a good life (laughs) like looking at you thinking people are listening going the fuck rock bottom is this guy (laughs) felt but pain for sure you felt the pain of the end of a relationship or things like that uh, first of all it's really nice to have you here thank you um you you haven't done too many interviews in general and funny enough when we were in touch about you coming in and and you were talking to super p and organizing this and everything you said you actually don't want to do um, interviews um which is a counterintuitive thing for a musician who's on the rise to say tell me why um i had this experience before i became a singer um before i started releasing music let's put it that way that i would um really like this singer song and then social media happened and then um (laughs) the person would would show their lives and then they would start talking and then you could um get to know them and i didn't like them anymore Hmm. So, um, and I kind of model. Um, Sometimes it's not helpful to know not. too much about the it's person. It's not. Yeah. Like, when you look at the biggest artists, like let's say The Weeknd, Drake, um, Harry Styles, who are my top three that, that I hmm. look up to, um, you, you don't. You the notable Persian see. trio of uh, <laughs> Drake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you, don't, you, don't, you don't see too many interviews. In fact, right. the first interview. You of see Drake, a video with uh, Drake masturbating, but uh, I mean. You have seen that, haven't you? No. Oh, it was like viral this week. It, really? Yeah, I mean, I think it's him. <laughs> and the, the size of his <laughs> appendage made it a very popular video. But anyway, yes, I. But in general, you're they're 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 more, a little more private than some yeah. of the other folks who are always yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So that that's why I I think that I should. I'm more comfortable keeping it. What is it that less. you wouldn't want people to know? It's not. It's not me hiding something. It's mm. about leaving. Um, the imagination open for the audience to to imagine who this guy is that's writing 
right. these many emotional songs or these many romance songs. So you decided songs. to come on Rook where we're going to do a long-form interview and I'm going to you know, ask I, you everything I, and it's going to sit on the internet for, for the rest of I your think, life. I think one really good one and, and who's, who's better to do it than you. Ah, there, you see how you turn that around? Okay. Beautifully done. Uh, you're on a mission, <clears throat> it says on your Instagram page, to make Persian pop great again. I love it. Uh, it does imply... I mean, if, if you're going to make Persian pop great again, it means it was once great, it's not great now. How does it need, need fixing? Um, well, if you look at the look, if you look at history and what's been happening in the past um, 30, 20 years of our music, which is mostly listened to and most mostly been considered as pop, the, mm -hmm. um, the common people listen to pop. And when you look at how many Gugush-like or how many Ebi-like uh, singers have been produced, uh, you, found, you find zero. Right. And that's a serious concern when you, when you think about it, when you think about from a cultural perspective and from an artistic perspective mm. and from a nation perspective. Um, and you don't see that. And I feel like it's because... I don't know. I have a lot of. I mean, I was just, as you're saying that, yeah. I'm thinking obviously every culture, every music, every language has its icons, and the older ones are always going to be icons. That, but uh, so I mean, in English music, you would say, well, you, you know, there's Barbara Streisand or Leonard Cohen or or, or um, Springsteen or something, but there's also Taylor Swift and Drake yeah. and people in their 30s and, and even 20s who are the biggest names in the world. It's true. We don't. There, there's just no equivalent. You don't, and, and you see that in concerts. In a young person to gugush, yeah. And you see that you can tell that from concerts. If you look at Persian concerts, you um, ninety-five percent of the times, if not more, you see concerts being performed as groups, which sends a message right. that maybe none of those people can sell out single, right, or sell out that venue single. And that's concerning. But Siyavah Shikhameshi is selling. The big, the older artists can. The older, the older artists can. Um, and I, you know, Siyavah Shikhameshi, Ebi, um, there are people that I live with. Siyavah Shikhameshi, I see him as one of my biggest icons. Um, but it's also age. Um, they cannot, um, at least... They, most of the time, when, when you reach that age, it's it's tough to keep up. Keep it's tough to yeah, perform they, for for, for an hour and a half. The fortitude of the Persian. I mean, this like RF. This guy's got to be. I mean, he RF sang at my parents' wedding. Um, and my Damn. parents, my parents had their 50th anniversary a couple of years before my dad died 10 years ago. So you do the math, like, I don't know, like, RF he's, is he's like... 80-something. He's like... He's 80-something. Uh, much older than Joe Biden, and thankfully <laughs> more virile, it would seem. But, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, they, I mean, so there's a lot of fortitude there. It's great to see, that, but you're right, they can't, they can't do, can't you know... And I not. think, if, yeah, I mean, Ebi's um, doing that, and he's doing great, and it's, it's fascinating what he does. I've been to his concert maybe five times, and, and I've, every time I've been so impressed. So was it just that? I mean, there are younger, great music. We've had some, Kamyar, you know, there's people who are talented, and they, you know, they're younger, and they're... Absolutely. But, but w what do you think? Is this all just about the revolution, or what, why is it that you, we need to make Persian pop great again? What happened? 
I think we need to look at a, a um, element, uh, an, an element of novelty, which has been absent. Kamiar did try that, and and he succeeded. I think bringing um, some sort of an R&B sound into Persian mm -hmm. music, and he started with Black Cats. Uh, well, he got hurt with Black Cats. I heard him through Black Cats at mm. least. Um, but nothing new has been happening in Persian pop. Um, and the thing is that most Persian pop that you listen to, at least now, the ones that go viral, um, is they get generated from Iran. Some day ago was was from Los Angeles or right, it was from right, outside of right. Iran after they they left the revolution. But now they're all generating from Iran, and unfortunately, 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 because um, they have to be working through a framework yeah. uh, under the Islamic Republic, uh, which needs to go through an approval process, and that includes how he looks on the cover, hmm. if he has any woman on the cover. And it's usually, it's always he too, right? It's, it's, it's always he, yeah. unfortun yeah. unfortunately, it's always he. And um, the lyrics can't be, and, and now it's getting worse and worse again because they're limiting it more. Right. And, um, and everything about the music. If it's a little bit Western, they stop it. I thought you were going to say even outside of Iran, uh, there's 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 only one game in town in terms of the gatekeeper that that distributes Persian pop, you know, or that or makes creates the hit singles, right? Um, and and that sort of narrows the field a little bit too. If you're doing alternative stuff, you may not get on Radio Javon. I mean, that's that's part of the issue, isn't it? You you can get on Radio Javon. And uh, I have, I am on Radio Javon, and, and a good portion of my listeners are from Radio Javon. But uh, the issue that we have, and it's not, in my opinion, it's not a Radio Javon problem. It's a marketplace problem. Mm. It's an industry-wide problem. You have one big player has, that has become a sort of a monopoly. Mm -hmm. uh, not sort of. Well, they yeah, are yeah, a monopoly. Yeah, yeah they are a monopoly. Yeah. And um, wanted or unwantedly, um, they have this brilliant idea that, hey, let's make a platform that everyone listens to. But this platform is also a label. Yeah. So you can have all Good for them, music. by the way. Good full, for them. full marks on business. Honestly, Good for it's, you. it's, yeah, it's yeah, a great. It's, yeah, it yeah. worked out really well. I think it's super smart. The app is great. The platform is good. But it's a conflict of interest. From a business perspective, mm. it's a conflict of interest that you're a platform as well as a label. Mm. And um, because of that, they, they support, obviously, from a business perspective, their own their artists. Their own artists, right. Um, so it's tough to be their own artists and, um, and, and um, be pushed by them. Mm. So, yeah. What? Well, let me come back to this. Mm -hmm. Come back to you being independent and and what drives you. We we first met four years ago, um, at right around when we were launching Rook actually, yes. and you had just put out your first singles. And uh, when I met you, I thought you were, I thought you were probably like me, like a guy who was born in like grew up grew up outside of Iran. You know, was born either in Canada or moved here when you were a baby or something like that. Uh, you didn't seem to have an accent. You seemed to be very Western in terms of the way you carried yourself. It turns out you actually grew up in Iran. And now that I know you better, I know you are actually very Iranian. But but how do you 
as someone who now, I mean, I guess it's really half and half for you. You spent your first half of your life so far in Iran and second half in Canada. How do you self-identify? Definitely Iranian. Iranian. Definitely oh. Iranian. Definitely Iranian. Um, and um, it's, it's I, I, I identify myself as Iranian because, mm. I don't know, my parents, my childhood, um, what I listen to, what I read. So you're on, if you're on holiday in Mexico or in Thailand, somebody says, where are you from? You say, Iran? I say, I say I'm, I'm from Canada, but I'm Persian. Huh. Yeah. And I know you were very supportive of the uprising after the killing yeah. of Masa Amini, and you even dedicated a song uh, to the struggle for change in Two Iran. Two songs. Two songs. Um, but I understand you actually really liked your childhood in Iran. Um, you've told me that my generation in Iran had the best childhood. This is at least, we're talking about the years yeah. after the inception of the Islamic Republic. Presumably people had better childhoods uh, yeah. when they were allowed to you do know, dance or something. Yeah. yeah. But but why do you think your generation had the best childhood? I think we've seen both sides. Um, we, I see, I see the gen generation after me. Um, they're very much into their screens. Mm. And even like, we have friends and family friends that I that I that I see their kids. Um, Sorry, your generation would be the nineties kids. Ninety seven, yeah, okay, ninety seven, yeah. Half the young, we say seventies. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> and um, I see the kids being always on on, on on their screen, and there's not much like outside play that's that's going on. But right. my generation, we were outside. We were on bikes. We were, we would play soccer until like what nine p.m. at night, mm. football. All right, and um, and. But we also and you're unfamiliar with these screens. You're no, still no, no, using no, no, an no, abacus that's, that's, account. And no, no, no. That's right. what I'm saying from a ch like when I was a kid. But at the time, computers like playing games on the computers for us was like this new thing that right, happened right, to me right, when right, I was right. what. Yeah, you were the turning eight, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like eight, nine, and uh, it was the best thing in the world. But like we didn't have 24-hour access to it. My parents didn't allow it. Our parents wouldn't allow it at the right. time. Um, so yeah, that's why I thought I think that we saw a little bit of both sides of the world, um, and it wasn't an Iran thing that I said. I said just uh, uh, I a see. personal thing. I yeah. see. Yeah, pre pre tech com new tech revolution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I get mm -hmm. that. I get that. Um, you come to Montreal when you're 13 in yes. 2010, and you said you really liked Montreal when you when, when you came. And the story is that you learned. Because part of the reason I thought you were so Canadian is because you don't have latte. You, you're not being, you know, you're not like, I came, I went to a Starbucks, I went to five star hotel. <laughs> yeah. I went to a hotel first. You don't, I mean, uh, yeah. well, we love, we love the accent, love but, uh, but you don't have it. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because you go to Montreal first, which is, and, and, at least the part of Montreal that you went to, I understand you were, you you weren't first speaking English. You were yeah. speaking French, but you learned to speak English and French with such fluency because of musical theater. <laughs> yeah. What's the story on that? Yeah, um, I moved to Montreal in 2010, um, which is Hash to the Hash, which was um, Hash to the No. Hash or is it? It was it was it was 88. It was Hash to the Hash. Well, it Hash to the Hash is 2009, isn't it? Isn't that the green movement is hashed to hashed? Yeah, but we came here in Bahman. Uh, so oh, um, I see. Farvardin it would was be still hashed hashed hashed. Yeah. yeah, and it was like at the midst of that. It was um, right after the, the green movement, which was 
which left a mark. But anyways, um, yeah. I, I don't know numbers, by the way. I just know that Green Movement was actually. Yeah, yeah, it was actually. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Like we were in the middle of it. We were in Tehran. And um, yeah, I come to we come to Montreal and um, out of luck, I get assigned to this um, school. And the school is the biggest music school in the province of Quebec, which was hallelujah for me. It wasn't by design. Your parents didn't put you in the music school. No, 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 no. <laughs> Were you singing in Iran? Were you showing a, an interest in that stuff? Um, yeah, I was. I was always singing at okay. least at least in home at home and, and um, my to my mom. <laughs> but I see you didn't really. Th- you weren't like ten years old going. This is going to be my career. This is my path. Uh, no, in, in you Iran. can't. You, no, they, that's not really an option to think about. Like hmm. when when you talk to your peers, they're like, "Oh, I want to become a doctor. I want to become an engineer. I want to be." You don't you don't hear someone like, right. "I'm going to be a khonande." You know, it doesn't happen. <laughs> but you can't be like, "I want to be Ali Reza Qurbani." Um, you you can, but you don't hear that as often as I want to be Ali Dai. You know, like, oh, right, <laughs> like right, that right, was that was right, the alternative. That right, was a cool al- alternative. Right. Um, but I was just young. Like you don't really. Anyways, I didn't talk about it at the time. Um, yeah, I came to Montreal, and the school was had a very, very, very good music program. And funny thing, they had an auditorium inside the school, which was just renovated the year that I got there, and it was sitting 600 people. At a school, it's huge. Right. <laughs> it's a high school. Elementary, right. well, high school and elementary school. Their, their oh, system the, is... Oh, that's the Quebec. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, it's, it's secondary school, right, they call right. it. And um, yeah, I was there from grade um, grade eight to grade ten, mm. and then I moved here. But yeah, I auditioned for this musical program that they had after I saw their um, last year's their first year's show, which was Le Misérable. Mm-hmm. And um, I auditioned, and it was an after school program. Here is if if you take musical theater, if the school has it, it's during. It's it's like a course. Okay. And um, yeah, I auditioned, and then I got in. To, and that and that and how did that help your English and French? Well, it didn't it didn't help my English at all uh, because it was in French, right? Um, and it helped my French because I, I created a, a community uh, around me by you you know theater you you have to be within a. Community. So what was the musical you were doing? Beauty and the Beast. In in Montreal. Yeah. In Montreal, it was Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. In French. In French. So an Iranian kid is doing Beauty and the Beast in French. Yeah, and we what, just uh, moved there. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty audacious. I mean, you were, and and what were you? Uh, who were you? I was the Beast. You were the Beast. You were the lead. The lead, uh, the lead yeah, man. I was, I was, you yeah. sing Evermore. I, That's I did not sing yeah. Evermore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like. Uh, <laughs> who would have guessed? You're you're a pretty sweet looking beast. I mean. I wouldn't necessarily. I was it. like this tall. You were a little, and I was chubby. So you were chubby. I was chubby. Yeah. Uh, the beast generally has a baritone voice, voice, doesn't he? You don't really have the beast. Voice. I really tried. He'd like oh, yeah. the beast guy. You know. <laughs> I really tried. <laughs> That's amazing. So, uh, so how is it that you had the confidence to do that? I mean, you were. It takes a fair bit of confidence to just land from another country, and within a year be playing playing the beast in French. In 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 school, I don't um, I don't know. It's it's weird because um, when I get and that was the first experience that I had. But when I get placed into situations like that, when it's 
musical or artistic um, I feel very much at home and that was the first experience that I had mm. feeling like I'm so comfortable about this like um, don't get me wrong the first time that I sang my like it, we had so many um, practice shows that like by the time that you were sitting in front of the audience you were good but the very first one my voice was vibrating and I was super nervous but at the show um, or at the rehearsals or, or, or at like the practices I was very comfortable I and loved it did you sing in French with a Persian accent <laughs> no I, <laughs> I, I don't I don't think so no? I, don't know. I have to check well uh, fortunately we have your first single I mean this is a few years later yeah. uh, this came out almost four years ago the tie-in here is that it's actually half in French in yes. fact the title of the song is see you if right yes um, and so let, let's let's play a little bit of this is Navon's first single that came out four years ago little taste of sea March 2020, the first single by Navon, a little taste of the song C, a song, at least the chorus in French. I mean, I hear that and go, that's a French singer. So this is really curious. You you begin your recording career um, with a French single. What was the intention at the time? It was the first song that came to my mind. and I, and I, and <laughs> I was in the shower, actually, but it's a different story. Um, I had this beat that I was I was listening to ding 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 and then I think it was stuck in my mind and I was like si un peu trop tard. meaning you thought of it in French yeah, yeah I, the first thing that I had was was the, the, ah. the chorus which was in French and um, yeah and then it happened it, it was really crazy and that's the tattoo eh? the, t the date, what do you mean the, the tattoo date, on your neck yeah the date that this was released was really March 6 2020 wow yeah it means a lot to you it means song. a lot to me yeah huh. What's it like when we play it back? <laughs> I laugh at it because my voice seems to be different to me. <laughs> How does it seem different? It seems uh, thinner. Right. Yeah, yeah, now it's a bit different. Like that damn tattoo is now uh, <laughs> stuck on my neck. No, I love it. I, I love, love that it. song. I think yeah. it's, it's a lovely song. It's, it's I mean, I, I tend to, It's these are cliche questions to kind of say well, after a while when you're doing a program like Rook to say, do you think in Persian or English? Or But it's it's curious with you when you're writing songs then, You've got these three languages that you can navigate. Uh, I mean, is it that the Persian songs then are you thinking in Persian or and the English ones in English or how does it how does it work? Um, it depends on the melody because I I, I start with the melody. Um, I think the Western school of thought for music and melody writing or songwriting goes start with the melody and then write the lyrics on it persian is a little bit different because we have poetry so yeah. like the poet gives the poem to the songwriter right. and then they write the melody based on that right 
so it really depends on on the on the melody but most times i am thinking in, in, in farsi and then i get stuck <laughs> and, and then um what, what do you mean i don't know how to fit what i want to say in that in that uh, in that melody so mm. i have to think it in english sometimes i use like dictionaries to find what's the what's the alternative word for what i'm thinking huh. in english and then and then write it in farsi but and, uh, what about business considerations like did you because the second song you put out which i'm going to play in a moment is all persian yes so w- w- was that entering your mind at the time like a like what am i going to am i going to be a french artist am i an english guy am i I'm, am I a persian singer who am i you know the uh, from the beginning um my intention was to be this persian singer that can enter the international realm mm. of music and um at the time i thought if i'm releasing music in multiple languages or if i'm um mixing farsi with english or french it can open up more doors and it has yeah um Theor- theoretically at least yeah you know you have to kind of establish yourself but shakira exactly you know um what was your question sorry my question was uh good question what what whether you were thinking business wise of to when you go to the second single it's all persian whether you're going i, I gotta stop doing this french stuff i gotta establish myself within the persian community somehow i was um i was until i would say a year and a half ago i was pretty set in um singing mostly in english or french or most mostly in english i would i would say um but then i realized a couple of things i it, i it even went to a point that i took singing classes to work on my accent when i sing in english mm. because when i when i speak i don't um i don't struggle mm-hmm. but uh when i sing um because persian music you have accents on on certain um vowels and, sure. and letters yeah. like for example we say when we say ke it's really like ke but like english music when you when you um when you say it it's not like that it's like mm-hmm. hey. so it wasn't a, um, and i'm so sensitive on my accent mm. in general so like I, I took that and the reason why i took it it was because i wanted to do more english music mm. uh, for it to open doors to says the another man who's world. on the precipice of putting out a persian album yeah exactly yeah. and then it changed mm. um why did it change first of all it did not feel authentic to me uh when i write a persian song in farsi um i'm really feeling it like mm. i'm enjoying it i'm enjoying listening to it i'm enjoying writing it when it's english and it feels like it comes from your yeah bones your skin your heart yeah yeah uh, but when i um but when it's in english it's like i write it it's even easier for me to write it in mm. english because i can think and come up with rhymes and um yeah so it didn't feel authentic and then at the same time um it's it might be cocky to say that but i really do feel like our um industry our culture needs um something new in hmm. my if i have to say it bluntly it, it i feel like it needs help um our music our pop needs help mm-hmm um it needs novelty it needs mppga hmm? make persian pop music great again Ex- <laughs> yeah exactly. rolls off the tongue it's not quite maga but it's close <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
yeah, and and that's why I felt like it's it's it feels more authentic to me, and I feel like it's I look at it as more of a a, a mini mission for for my personal um, goals. Let me play a bit of your second single. And and I want to do this partly because it's one of my favorite songs. In fact, it's a song we actually played yes. on one of the first editions Thank of Rook you. because we yeah. launched in April 2020. So uh, because I liked it so much, and I said this is a young guy who's just written the song, and I think it's a fantastic melody. Um, the song's called Bozzy. Let's play a little bit of that. Go ahead, Sikri. <laughs> From 2020, his second single ever. That's Bozzy by Navon, who's here in the studio. I wanted to play that for a couple of reasons. First of all, because I love it, really. I mean, I just think that is a great melody. It's always I've, it's always stuck in my head. I, I have this like giant playlist of all Western songs, but that one's in there. Oh, like thank you. you're next to Radiohead or whatever. I think it's a great melody, really great melody. Lyrically, it appeals to me because I understand it because it's very simple <laughs> lyrically. And I dare say it, I forgive me, but it's almost like something I could write in Persian. It's yes. a very elemental. That, that is of, my goal <laughs> like when I write music. Well, yeah. I, I, so I want to ask you about that because um, you've been intent on you want to write the music and the lyrics. Mm -hmm. And you've admitted that you don't think of yourself as a top-level lyricist. Like, no. that song is not Iraj Janati You know, that's like a, it's not poetry in that sense. Yeah. Why is it important for you to, to write a, the lyrics of a song like that? Um, I write music. It's not like, you know, I go sit in a room and I'm like, okay, let's start a song. Okay. Um, I write music based on personal experiences and um, if I have to rely on somebody else to tell my story um, it goes back to that authenticity aspect of it I don't feel authentic singing it mm. and I don't feel good listening to it because I'm singing somebody else's words um, so that's why and when I do write songs I try to write it as simple as possible and again that's because of what I've been reading from the Western world of songwriting um, but I get criticized about it all the time you do I mean in what way people what do they say people your lyrics are not lyrics not sophisticated not sophisticated enough and, and that doesn't bother you doesn't int intimidate you well it did it did bother me to a point that now i'm working with songwriters <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute what do you mean you're 
So now uh, I don't let. Them I was write. enjoying that. I don't care. <laughs> I'm gonna be by myself. No, I'm no, no. Write no. What now, I... now it's it's not like I get lyrics from. Them. Uh, I write a lyrics. You're just learning to c- c- to continue. I I write the lyrics uh-huh. and then I send it to there. There's three of them. I send it to them and I ask. Are them they to in a castle? Where are they? <laughs> it's like the. <laughs> The papal, yeah. it's like the uh, monastery. <laughs> no, what? Where, where are these people? They're in Iran. They're, They're in, Iran. in Iran. They're in Iran. Yes. Okay. They're in Iran. You and send them lyrics in in Persian. Yeah. And then they send, and then they make them make it. You know, spruce it up a little bit. The, the rhyme here is not. Well, working. how the fuck is that more authentic? You, you. I mean, you wanted. I thought you were going for authenticity. Well, authenticity is the story for me. Ah. Um, the rhyming and the literature mm. portion of. Um, the music is not something that I'm expert at. Mm. Or, so as long as the story is there and I'm writing, I'm, I wrote it. If they edit um, two rhymes out of it, I don't really care right, about it. Right, right, I'm fine with it. And I think it's necessary because um, even in the Western world, you have one song and it's written by like five, six people. You, sure. When you, when you look at sure. the credits. So, um, but you know, I got to say, yeah. With all incredible due respect to the incredible poets of the Iranian tradition, I sometimes think there's too much emphasis put on that. Uh, there's too, it's, it's like almost pretentiously in the Persian community. It's like the greatest songs ever, uh, ever by you know anyone. Some of them are very, very, very simple lyrics. I will always love you, you know, and I don't want to miss a thing. I mean, these are like, you know, very simple, simple, universal sentiments that everyone can can relate to. It doesn't always have to be a masterclass in poetry, you know, as much as I love the English versions of that, which would be Dylan or Leonard Cohen or whatever. Because um, and I was under the same belief and I was the biggest fighter of this until like six months ago. Um, and I do talk to a lot of, I read a lot, I talk to a lot of people that I consider mentors. The, when you look back, um, the reason why people are, uh, especially like big Persian artists, when uh, you ask Ebian, there's an interview, and Farhat, the same thing, and Siavash, a lot ha- they have this common saying. The interviewer asks something along the line of, what do you see as the problem in the current um, industry of, of, of music? Mm. Or um, what do you hate the most about today's music? Mm. They all say lyrics. And then I'm like, okay, if five people say it, maybe there is some sort of truth into it as much as I disagree with it. And then when you look at it, um, you have to look at history. Um, the Western world grew up with nice melodies. Yes. The Persian world, because of our culture yes. and our long history, yes. we grew you. up yeah. with poetry. Yeah. Okay. So, but... And it would be a shame to mess with that too it's, much. It's not, yeah. it's not really a, a shame. It's just that when you listen to a song, because it's in your DNA and because you've listened to poems from at least mm-hmm. when, I, when I grew mm-hmm. up in Iran, my, my, my grandpa would, would read me poems. Or like that's the emphasis for you that's it that's what you're talking about I've, I've noticed this sorry I'm, yeah. I, I'm I'm jumping in here but I've noticed this over and over again where they're even even when they're listening to Western music there's a primacy placed on what's he saying what's, what's he saying whereas I will always go to the melody first melody. because it's the Beatles first to you. great lyrics but really it's the melody the timeless melodies right exactly and um, 
but I feel like the new generation, which is me and, and younger, mm. it's slightly different. My gener my generation, and especially the generation after me, did not grow up with as much poetry as I did, or as my parents did. Right. What they grew up with was a little bit of poetry, so it's still in their DNA. But they grew up with storytelling. That's why hip hop right now is so popular. Mm. And the and the younger generation uh, of of Persian music, at least and worldwide too. How is storytelling different from what Darish and Gugush were doing? You don't have, and Darish and Gugush are, are an exception. Okay, Eddie, I mean, mean what, they, what they were doing in the past. What's I'm talking about today's pop. Today's yeah. pop. How if you if today's pop is storytelling? It's not. That's what I'm saying. Oh, it's not. It's not. So, but today, you said they grew up with storytelling. Right, but it has nothing to do with the music. Ah, in general, I they see. grew up with storytelling. So uh, the grandma or the, the mother or the father sure. would, would read them a story. And um, I lost the train of my thought. Well, the, the train of thought was, was how oh, things are changing now. Yeah, the so, so wh where I'm going with this is that today's today's Persian Did you smoke pop, a joint before this interview? <laughs> it's been a while. You're 26. No. You're having <laughs> trouble remembering things. <laughs> Um, no, it's my ADHD. It's, it's <laughs> right. all over the it's place. I, it's fine. Um, yeah. So um, if you look at today's Persian music, today's Persian pop, what is absent is that storytelling. Hmm. It's all simple lyrics that are now not poems, hmm. and they're just lyrics that rhyme a little bit. Yeah. So what I'm trying to do with my music is to bring that storytelling within my music. And that's why if you, if you uh, listen to my songs, all of them are, are a story that, that is being told. And I feel like that's, a, that's absent. And um, yeah, that's, that's one of you the reasons also, why I'm doing it. You also kind of want to push the envelope, at least you, you've said it's your aspiration to push the envelope in other ways. You want to be, you talked about wanting to be edgy and you, that you want to bring erotic scenes into your music and into your videos. And you had that stuff that's still taboo in the Iranian yeah. community. Um, tell me about the song To See because that was yeah. seemed it was like part of the intent there. Right? Yeah. Um, this is from about a year ago, this song. A couple years ago? To yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, I think another thing that has been absent within our modern world of Persian music and Persian art, again, because of that framework, has been um, sex. And um, it's a part of romance. Mm. And when you look at when you look back at ancient literature, when you look at ancient paintings, nudity is there. Sure. Yeah. So why all of a sudden, in the modern world where you know um, the the eyes are more open, right? You see more of that, but you're not hearing it much. Um, so what what I've tried to do in in Tusi and and a couple of songs in in the album that is coming out, um, and it was a really really tough job. And I feel like in Tusi I failed a little bit, but in Meslagab it's better. It's a, li a little bit more low key. Um, the goal was to write a an erotic song that's not cringe to listen to, <laughs> because they have done it. In, in Persian music, they have done it. Tatalu has done it. Mm. But when you listen to it, and I'm like, oh my God, did he just say that? I'm not sure that's called eroticism. I think that's a different thing. Whatever. Uh, yeah. 
but yeah. but the, I mean, it's not, the topic it's, yeah the, the topic sure. is there Sex, right yeah, 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 yeah the topic is there um, so my goal with my limited um, knowledge of Persian literature and <laughs> Persian mm. words uh, in Parsi was to write songs that uh, is erotic but it's not cringe to listen to let me play a bit of this is a little bit of 2C from 2022 to see that's featuring a woman named Nicole Glazunov it's a Farsi English collaboration she's a Toronto singer as well she's Toronto from and origin of um, Israel Israel cool so this is and this is about intimacy sex and um, a topic of taboo and and modern Persian art tell, tell me about that sing that also the experience of bringing her in to do this in two languages um, this song I think one of, was one of the songs that it took the longest for me to write um, because of that topic of, of let's not let's try to not be um, too upfront um, and it ended up being upfront uh, so that's why I like I said this I about you I like that you're not you're not too precious with your your feelings you're I mean you sit, you're sitting here saying oh, I get criticized for my lyrics they're not good enough I mean that's refreshing you're you're you've got the confidence you're putting this stuff out you're saying make Persian pop great again but uh, I'm gonna lead the revolution but but you also seem like you can take criticism oh yeah absolutely and you know it's art art is not perfect it, it, it's a it's it's art so it can be as imperfect there's no art that's perfect um, but going back to 2C, it took almost a year and a half to, to, to write it. And originally, I had this other artist who's excellent. She's one of my good friends. Um, she's also releasing music now, and she's killing it. Her name is Helium, like helium. Mm. And um, I had her first on, and I felt like our vocals weren't um, doing it as much as I wanted it to be. Mm. Because what I had in my mind was like, uh, Fifty Shades of Grey sort of environment. Um, so I wanted something more melodic. And then I listened to Nicole through After Hill. So she, she sang into a, in, in a couple of, a of his access. songs. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, who is this? And uh, she came to my studio at the time, was in my bedroom. And uh, we sat down and wrote... And she wrote this thing. Yeah, you wrote an erotic the, song in your bedroom with this uh, woman. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, she, it took, it took, you're so bad. Well, I, uh, I'm <laughs> trying to put the story together. No, right? no, no. Yeah. Nothing of that sort. Okay, all right. I don't, I don't poop when I eat, where uh, I eat. Oh, dear. Yes. Okay, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, I thought maybe this was an no, Israeli-Iranian no, finally no. coming together. Uh, no. Yeah. 
we did not, we did not make peace in that way. Okay. Um, and what was I saying? Yeah, so she wrote this in like 10, 15 minutes. Wow. And she has such beautiful vocals and she's mm -hmm. a soprano. Yeah, got a lovely voice. And, yeah. um, and it turned out one take and it turned out mm. great. Um, yeah, I, I was really happy with it. Last year, yes, you were among the performers on stage for that massive For Iran concert at the Scotiabank Arena. Um, I, I want to ask you about what it was like to hang with Abby backstage and, and actually Bob Akami knew, who's one of your friends and mentors. I know he's somebody you, you've worked with. But, um, but first of all, just about that event. I mean, in retrospect, uh, that event has actually taken some criticism for being you know, too ambitious in the scale. Uh, and also the fact that it, it kind of became quite political and uh, it was right after that that the op opposition leaders and groups kind of broke apart. Everything sort of seemingly fell apart. Uh, what, what did you make of that whole night? Because you were intimately involved in it. I mean, you were up there. I think before we get about the event, let's talk about criticism in the Persian sure. community. Yeah. Okay, Because um, we're... Look, usually um, negative is always louder than positive. Yes. Okay. Um, and that's especially where in social media. Es especially yeah. in social media because it gets the clicks. Yeah. But even amongst us, when we talk, we really like to like to talk shit. Yes. And um, it's unfortunate. Some of us try not to, but we, I think we try. Yeah. But you know, um, when there is so much criticism in in um the entertainment industry in in persian music in music and and in art and really in our society in general so and that is in music somebody that can somebody can write the best um song somebody can be performing for 50 years yeah um and he is let's talk about ebi i'm going to give ebi as an yeah. example um, because this is happening today and it's really pissing me off. Um, Ebi has been performing for 50 years, okay? And um, he is by far, and I've been to Drake's concerts, Weekend concerts, Harry Styles concerts, all, like good concerts. Mm -hmm. um, I had the most fun at Ebi's concert. Hmm. A, because he's a great entertainer. He, yeah. He's a showman. Yeah. And the guy can sing yeah. at 75. Yeah. You know, it's not a joke that somebody can sing for an hour and a half and you're 75. Mm. Um, so he's been performing for 40 years, 50 years. And then there is this Instagram channel that now has been going viral for the past year and a half. And um, oh, the one that criticizes the way people sing or something. Yeah. yeah and like you have one bad performance mm. or you have a couple, you know, an artist can't have a bad performance. Sure. They can't have a bad yeah. night. But then, because it's viral, mm. it completely destroys uh, the artist, mm. at least for a certain amount of time. Mm. Not the same thing as criticizing for Iran. Not the same okay. thing. I'll tell you why. Mm -hmm. Because for me, because I'd probably be in the camp of saying, if, we were, if that were to all to happen again, I would take the political speeches out of it. I would, because sure. the performances... I, I, for the most part, I loved. For, I, I hadn't even seen Aida before that. Isn't she's, she amazing? She's incredible. We wow. had her on the, on the show afterwards. Uh, I mean, Arash, you know, Ebi, uh, Erfan, everybody, was, it was great. Great. Um, but 
it, it got so weighed down by what did Massey say? Why is Hamed there? Reza Pahlavi was on too long. It was it just became something else. And I I think the intent of it was to be inclusive, but I'm not sure it worked in that way. You know that that's that's why I'm asking. And and that seems to be um, that's a problem for us where we where I do think you, music can unify us, culture unifies us, but we don't seem to be as good at doing the politics thing in a unified way. Um, I don't know, because it's the first time, to be honest, that I'm hearing this. Oh, okay. Uh, about, well, maybe that, about that event, right. about that event. And, and I appreciate the opinion because I, I was a part of it and I, and I understand it. Um, I think the intention from what I understood was to unify people through arts. Yes. Well, and through music. That's my point. Right. And well, I feel oh. like it, it from getting people together in one room, yeah. I think it did a good job. Whether it ended up sure. being listen after not easy to throw story. an arena event no, for the project. Like, you know, twelve thousand people absolutely. is not a joke. No. Right? Um, so I think from that respect it did its job where, you know, you were in a room with people that had one goal change okay now mm -hmm. whether that was one side or the other the yeah. intention was that yeah. you know what we're here because we're not happy what's with what's happening in there yeah but the you know and the canadian government gets 15 minutes to do a speech and the person's going on about how much they care about the iran community and i'm sitting there going but you didn't put the irgc on the terrorist list the whole thing it just it just like i i uh, uh it, it invites a, a different level of criticism uh, well um a different level of uh, weight I don't know something to the evening that is uh, that that is less emotional and joy and and you know what it I felt like a couple of the artists themselves I mean uh, Ali Azimi Airfon said hey you know I don't want to I'm not I'm not here, here to make a speech I'm not here to endorse every everything that everybody's saying I'm you know I'm I'm here to to sort of do a pay on to Iran and perform my music it doesn't really matter I just thought no, it I would, think I, I think was curious I have, I have throw it thought. at you and see what I have, you, yeah. I have a good thought um if and again, this is the first time I'm hearing it, so I'm really thinking out loud. Really? Yes. I'm the first person yes, who's yes. told you yeah, yeah, that did they didn't love all the speeches and all of that. Well, we knew it was long, but like I didn't know the criticism was that, no. you know what, the event went bad because of the speeches. No, I, I, okay. maybe it didn't go bad. I just say that there's been some criticism. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, if I were to do it today, I would let the artists do longer performances and maybe you know what like Erfan came in Erfan was like you know what I don't want to have a long speech but too much shouldn't be in, in prison mm. and you know it still gives me goosebumps because that is relevant I love that and that is relevant okay and I feel like well, why, artists, why do we need the exactly, representative from exactly. the government so to come I, and if say I, that if, if I were to do it today and go back I would let the artists do their job because mm. the artists are more as part of people than politicians You, you lost some people with that, but That's I. Okay. But <laughs> no, it's true. But I, but I, I you know, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. What was it? Okay, I, I, I thought I, you know, that you did a good job. You put of me in actually, trouble there. I didn't actually. You, I mean, you did a good job of, uh, of being diplomatic and saying no. It's a. I mean, you're and you're absolutely right about the, the criticism piece. I wasn't coming from that. I was, I was more looking at what can we learn culturally about, you know, the uh, our desire to always want to put political people on or do you know sort of. Uh, political speeches but um but 
what what was it like for you? Because I remember you posting at the time pictures of where you were rehearsing. You you had a role. I should note that you were on stage as one of the the back singers. the backer yeah. up singers. So you didn't have a solo, no. but you got to perform with a number of people, number of different artists. No, the the, the solo um, was discussed briefly, um, but unfortunately or fortunately, uh, today Persian music. Um, is now really pushing um, an opportunity, rightfully so, for women. Mm. And um, we were under the impression that there is more than enough men in the, <laughs> in the event. So mm. let's give um, an opportunity for for women Great. to show their Great. to show yeah, their yeah. You know, So what art. was the what was the highlight for you? Personally, and the whole the whole thing was was absolutely like a dream. You know, I'm a um, I'm a big believer in um, manifestation and meditation. Mm. And um, just this thing where you, if you manifest it, it'll happen. Okay, like, <laughs> maybe. I can't. I, okay, yeah. <laughs> go know, ahead. Joe Rogan. Me. Joe Rogan me. had a, had a huge talk, like a long talk with Demi Lovato about this. And did he believe in, in buy into it? No, of course Thank not. God. If you're, yeah, if you're I, a believer, I can't. You're not a believer. So I've got a yeah. couple of friends. I love them, but they're you know, you need to manifest. And every time I say something negative, they're like, "Well, you're creating the negative." No, but, like, uh, but if if you manifest and you work your ass off, you'll probably get it. That's not manifesting. That's working. That's having it's a, a goal. It's a combination. All right. All right. Go ahead. Convince me. <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not going to convince you. I'm okay. not going to convince you. No, no. You, but, you said um, you, you're meditating. But you're I, I was uh, like Did you manifest for Iran? You thought no, of it not, and it not, all not happened? No, not in Iran. It was, about, about, it, was, it was about performing at Scotiabank. Uh, okay. and, and, then, and then when uh, I was told that the performance that is at Scotiabank, I was like, wow. Okay, cool. Um, but the experience, I'm not going to get into manifestation because I know you're going <laughs> to. Um, you manifest somebody bringing me a, an envelope with a, <laughs> a lot of money. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't Okay, you can't manifest for others. No, I, that's, that's magic. Um, but yeah, no, the, the performance in general was absolutely one of the best experiences that I've ever had. Um, I think I told you once that when I was a kid, um, for a period of time, music was not really allowed in, mm. in, in our house because um, at the time, at the time, um, my father had religious beliefs, although now he's the complete opposite. Um, but it was the belief that music is a is taboo to listen to. It's a sin mm. to listen to. So um, it was years wow. after. I know. Yeah. I know. Uh, I think that's partly right, the reason why, there's it, a, why I'm interested Surely there's in an it. album coming out of it that <laughs> no, at some point. No. I mean, that's, it, <laughs> I that's juicy stuff. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know, maybe one day. Yeah. Um, but Enough of the eshkbazi. Eshkbazi, yeah. write, write something deeper. That's well, why I keep... About <laughs> your, yeah, suppressed <laughs> religious upbringing. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was years after that um, when I was driving with my dad, he would put a cassette of music in, in, in the car. And the first cassette. That is, he, is he in Canada now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's, we've, we've moved is he okay together. with this conversation? Of course. Right, of course. Okay, he's, yeah. he's, a, he's a great supporter. He's a, he's, nice. He's, he's, a, he's a best friend. Okay. Um, the first cassette that I've ever listened to in our white Renault at the time, the you know small hatchbacks, uh, I think I was five or six. And uh, the first song that I've ever listened to with my dad in the car was uh, Parastoy Chaste by Farmer Zaslani. Hmm. 
and um, love that whole album. Uh, the second, love him, love him Anything as everything. Him. Like he's, he's, the best. he's a complete well, yeah. artist. Um, and then the second cassette was an Ebi cassette. Hmm. So it was absolutely fascinating that all those people that were there, the majority of them were, were people that I grew up listening to. You know, Erfan mm. was the first hip hop mm. artist that I've ever listened to. Right. Uh, Kyus, was one of the, I think it was the first right. Persian ra right. uh, rock that I, that I listened to. So it was just fascinating in that yeah. sort. But um, you know when they say you're starstruck? Is that, is that a thing that sure. they say? Yeah. Yeah, so I was like that when I saw Ebi. <laughs> <laughs> Did, what did you say? Did you say anything? Uh, I couldn't say anything. Uh, I was complete. Uh, it was it was a complete shock. Um, and he's such a nice man. Oh right? my God! I'll get yeah. there. I'll get to that too. But okay. um, he was not supposed to. He was not supposed to come. They told us that Evie doesn't perform the day before the show. Mm. Uh, doesn't rehearse before the before the show and uh, to to um, preserve the vocals. Mm. And I do the same. Like I, if I have a rehearsal, I'm not. I'm never going to put it before before the show. Um, and I see Bobak hugging this man. I'm like, Bobak doesn't really hug people like Bobak that. Amini, Bobak who Amini, was the band, who was leader, the band leader, arranged 25 pieces of music like a yes, mad in a genius. short yeah, amount of yeah, time with yeah. a for a whole orchestra. Yeah, he's unbelievable. He's a magician. Yeah. He's an absolute magician. Um, yeah, and I see Bobak hugging um, this gentleman, and. It turns and it's Evie. He turns and, and, and he's Evie. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do right now? My mind is racing. So like there's this giant room and I'm walking. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I was walking like 10 times back and forth thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Um, and then he comes in and there's probably 40 people in that room. Evie walks, shakes everybody's hands and introduces himself that I'm Evie. What's your name? So good to meet you. And he's just like that. Wow. And um, it was such an honor, such an honor to, 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 to meet him and, and get to know the person that he is. And I understood then why somebody like Ebby becomes like Ebby, who performs for 50 plus years. Now it's 55, 50 something years, almost 60 years. And people still go to his concert. Con concerts still get sold out. Because he respects people. Is that it? Respect is one thing. But being nicer than nice, being super nice to people, being genuinely nice mm. to people. For example, he would take a picture with someone. Mm. And there was a lineup of people taking pictures with Evie because everyone wants to take <laughs> yeah, a picture. Yeah. Um, and he would stop and be like, let's look at it. Do you like it? Do you want to take another picture? You sure? You sure? All right. Next. Yeah. And he—he's just people like people are going to remember that for the rest of their lives. Exactly that—that yeah. that interaction. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the show, he would go back to the fences, and he's seventy-five. Um, he would go back, stand up, kiss the people's hand, and be like, "Thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for coming." And what I've learned from that show in general was that um, idols, artists, become artists, and they can go long by being true and good to their people, mm. by being authentic to their people. And um, it was a an event that that I will never, ever forget. Right. And that is thanks to uh, Bobak. Bobak definitely pushed the envelope for me there. That's amazing. It's great. that Who was the worst? Who was just like, you couldn't, you can't believe how bad they were? You, you just won't. It was definitely yeah. me. <laughs> My God. 
Let me say some names. You tell me which ones were the uh, Farmers, uh, Airfon. Uh, um, okay, um, been so great having you here. Tell Thank me you. about this big show, and and you, this big show you're doing is uh, uh, the With You Foundation. Yes, is, is somebody you're partnering with. What is that? This show in Toronto. You know, um, I've been trying to find a way to support um, my community through my art through music and I wanted I wanted that to happen from the first um, opportunity that I have uh, to um, to perform and um, with you foundation was the one that I found that really resonated with me uh, because it helps Farsi speaking uh, people that are living under critical conditions and a good focus of them is refugee camps, mm. which I really, um, it's, it's painful for me to, to see mm. uh, how a generation that has pride and- Meaning around the world? It around the world, around okay. the world, yeah. And it, it's in general so painful for me to see um, how many um, people are just run, not even leaving the country, running from the country. Mm. And um, yeah, so it helps, it helps them, it helps, um, speaking people who, who live in under, under critical conditions and a portion of the proceeds of the uh, of the concert will go towards um, with you foundation good for you man the Thank with you. you foundation the concert is next a couple weeks from now yes March 1st at the Bathurst Arts Center for those who are in the greater Toronto area uh, if you can still grab tickets make sure you do it's downtown on, on Bathurst Street um, we'll put a link to that at the bottom of this interview um, we're going to go out on the, st the title track of your new record, Mesle Kabla. And so we started the interview talking about Roya. You were talking about how the album is kind of an arc, an exploration of, of love and pain and then finding yourself at the end. Um, tell me about this song. This song is the most recent song that I wrote f compared to the rest of the album. Um, the album is a combination of songs that I've written to uh, written um, uh, I've and, and I've selected from the past two years um, but that is the most recent song that I wrote and the reason why I put it in there and the reason why um, I released it the reason why I put it in there I felt like a piece of the puzzle was missing that the song before that is Bargat which I'm asking you know come back you, come back mm -hmm. for fuck's sake come back but um, I felt like that character the needs poetic, to move on. The poetic lyric, yeah. for fuck's sake, come back. Yeah, for fuck's yeah. sake, come back. Um, but I felt like there was a piece within that character uh, because nobody gets stuck. Uh, they, they Sooner or later, they move on. And Meslagab um, was that complete piece that I was missing. And this is about, is this a personal... Yeah, uh, being you've moved on from something, moved on from something, and uh, for me the song means um, being comfortable with um, yourself, being okay with um, enjoying your loneliness. It's never a bad thing. Once you get into it, it can be the best thing that can happen to you. Um, and. I felt like this, the song was really resonating with me today. That's why I released it uh, before the album. And that's why I made a music video for it. 
Um, so yeah, it was the completing piece of the puzzle, and and, and I'm so glad that that it made the album. And it, the title it says like before, but it's ironic because it says nothing is like before. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a good place to be, man. If you if you if what you say is where you're at, knowing that you're okay, you're good, you're ha- you know with where you are, even if there's some loneliness at times. Uh, that you've that you're you have a sense of self that's the best place I've ever been that's a that's fantastic yeah um, it's a pleasure it's to have you here pleasure is all mine I really too. enjoyed the conversation me too and I I've been enjoying listening to the new record and I look forward to seeing you on March 1st on stage yes. it's thanks gonna be good for, thanks for doing this and congrats on your new baby thank you so much thank you Navon live here in the Rook studio Let's go out on the title track of his brand new record that comes out next week, right? February 23rd? Yes, Friday. All right. This is Full Time for Rook uh, for today. Our website, rookmedia.com. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Super Paisa, Smart Pega, Savvy Rohan, Bearded Omid, Talented Anahita, Methodical Kaveh. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Do subscribe if you haven't done so already. You can find me on Instagram at Gian Gomeshi, of course. Mizun Bashin and from his brand new record coming out next week this is the title track this is Navon and Mestre
تو رو فراموشت کرد